Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have banded together to battle evil. They are the heroes of World War II, as well as their sons and daughters, protégés and godchildren. Two True Freaks presents The Tales of the Justice Society of America! To another exciting episode of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. I am one of your hosts, Michael Bailey, and with me, as always, is my good friend and the man with the plan that you can count on and other things involving the lyrics to Shaft, which I'm screwing up, Mr. Scott H. Gardner. <laughs> oh, I thought you were doing the Captain America song there for a minute. <laughs> oh, I love that song. I've said it before and I say it again. It really sucks that Captain America is a Marvel character because we could have used the crap out of his theme from that first uh, first movie for this show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think the, uh, I think the soundtrack as a whole for that movie would, uh, it'd be just as well for, uh, for JSA music, you know, for Tales music. You know what I mean? Yeah, if I it mean, wasn't so recognizable, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's the prop. Well, you know, it wasn't really in the second one all that much, but to me, I hear it and I, I, I think Captain America and I know it's like we, we, we had people when we were using the Fantastic Four theme that realized that knew it was the Fantastic Four theme. Right. And that's right. obscure as hell, so... Yeah, it is. <laughs> Ooh, well, we have an exciting... Maybe that's the wrong word to use. We have a two-part <laughs> episode to do. <laughs> we have an episode, yeah. Uh, no, it's just... Um, it is an exciting story, uh, though Scott and I are going to have some interesting criticisms of it. <laughs> uh, we are taking a break from the normal day-to-day business here at Tales of the JSA. Uh, instead of looking at the next issues of All-Star Squadron and Infinity Incorporated, plus doing our crisis management, which we only have two more installments of, folks. Just to tell you, once we're done with these two episodes, there's only two more episodes until a certain crisis, quote-unquote, on infinite Earths, quote-unquote, happens. But, you know, I'm not going to talk about it too much here. But no, uh, we are going to take a break from that normal coverage to talk about a miniseries that came out in late 1984 into 1985 that was pretty much designed to be a history of the Justice Society of America. 
And this is America versus the Justice Society. And we decided to just give it its own two episodes. I, I had thrown out there uh, that maybe we should just do the whole thing in one episode. But then Scott and I read that first issue and went, no, <laughs> no, no, bad Mike. Well, I, you know, I had every intention because I thought that was a great idea. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm like you. I, I'm, I'm itching that much more to, to get to crisis. Let's just, let's just get this over with. Get to crisis. And I devoted an entire weekend to reading this thing and and taking notes and writing synopses and everything else. And I got to the end of that first issue, and that's when I I texted you. I'm like. Dude, do we want to go back and split this back? Because I'm telling it was a monster of a read. It really was. And I'm trying so hard not to use the word slog, but there were places. There were places. I mean, I've seen encyclopedias that don't have as many words as this first issue had in it. It it was crazy big. Yeah, I mean, uh, like today, when you pick up like your, your your average issue of a Marvel or DC book, you know it'll probably take you maybe about five minutes to read. Right, right. Uh, about ten years ago, it was ten minutes, and ten years before that, it was fifteen. This, uh, I think, you and I both clocked in at about thirty minutes uh, with the first issue, which was it was refreshing mm-hmm. to read a comic that took that long. But it's just like you're halfway through it, and you're like, okay, are we gonna? We're going to go somewhere here? I mean, <laughs> to be fair, in the first issue, the art makes up for that. Uh, but, and, and we're not trying to insult Roy Thomas here by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but this was a this was a wordy damn first issue. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. Splitting it up into two parts is probably the best thing we could have done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, this was one of those things where it, it, it made me realize how modern style comics have kind of spoiled me, you know, because a modern style comic, you know, I, often I still, you know, I still read my comics, you know, I, I find the most comic reading time in the office, if you know what I mean. And a lot of times it'll be like, okay, you're just kind of getting started on things and it's like... Oh, I, I finished this issue already. And then you're poking your head out of the bathroom going, hey, honey, can you bring me another stack of books in here? This one here, I mean, you could have had a major movement going on. You know what I mean? You, you could have, and your, your legs would go to sleep after a while. I mean, <laughs> hey, honey, can you come help me off the John? <laughs> My ass is falling asleep. Suddenly I, your life becomes that scene from Lethal Weapon 2 where... <laughs> You're on the you're on the John for 18 hours, and Mel Gibson has to help you right. off of it. So. All right, on three, we're gonna get to the we're gonna get into the tub. <laughs> you know, we don't normally do bathroom humor, but when we do, we do it damn classy. Yes, That's we do. To say about that. <laughs> oh man! Well, speaking of getting too old for this shit, I guess it's time for the synopsis, right? Well, before you do uh, the first one, I thought it would be uh, since you know. This is covered in the second volume of the uh, All-Star Companion series. There is a little, like, prologue. Oh, yes. That, yeah. Uh, which I just thought would be good to read before we get into the first issue. Sure. Because it kind of sets up what the series was. Right. This quartet of issues, it reads, was conceived by Roy Thomas as a vehicle 
for relating the entire previous history of the JSA chronologically, from its origins and first meeting in 1940, through the adventures of the 1976-79 revival, within the context of a storyline which took place in 1984-1985. to Giving it ample coverage thus presents a special problem, because all eight of its inside covers, front and back, were filled to the brim with typeset notes, so-called skeleton key to each issue, which detailed the original 1940-plus source of the events retold. The idea behind this was to give the full providence of each episode, each action, that had its roots in comics that had been published mere months or several decades before, while avoiding distracting readers with footnotes on virtually every page. Which, personal note, I appreciated. Twenty years later, that system seems to have worked out fairly well. Thus, what follows is, uh, in terms of notes that we're going to be talking about, is a severely truncated version of those page-by-page notes, plus some other commentary as seems worth adding in the early 21st century. If you want to know even more, go hunt the back issue bins. Uh, but first, a few words about the series America vs. the Justice Society, which will often be referred to as AVJS in the notes. As stated in the inside front cover... Proglomina? That, that that works just Pro, as well as anything. Pro, uh, is it Prologamina? Prologamina? Yeah, I, I don't know what the hell that word is. Uh, by Roy Thomas, writer-editor in issue number one, the miniseries, the TV-derived term that was still common use in comics at that time, was originally intended to last six issues. A last-minute decision changed to just four, but with the same page count since one had 48 page and the other three had 32-page stories between its covers for a total of 144 pages. There were no ads in any of the issues. Uh, Roy Thomas indulged himself at the end of the prologue by saying this, Hopefully, by the time we get to our grand finale three months from now, or in our case, two weeks, you will know, as the ad says, everything you always wanted to know about the Justice Society and a few things you never dared ask. And if you've never really cared about the JSA, you lack an historical perspective, and I'm not interested in you in the first place. <laughs> Sorry. It's kind of on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I read that and went, wow, Roy, you were, you were kind of t- telling people off right at the beginning. Very good, sir. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't this originally conceived as a graphic novel? You know, I really need to ask jerry ordway about that because i thought he was working on a graphic novel and i and i just assumed that that was just one of the things that never got off the ground like there was a firestorm graphic novel that was talked about for a long time that never happened right so between now and the time we record next i will get in touch with him and see if i can get some info on that Uh, because he's really good about getting back to people uh, about stuff because I know the guys over at uh, the Fire and Water podcast. Hey, Shag, Rob, I know you're listening because uh, they talk about us a lot. Um, I know they they message him from time to time about who's who stuff. So I'll, uh, I'll 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 do that and hopefully have something for the next episode. Cool. All right. Do we want to go ahead and dive into this sucker then? I I I, I yield the floor to uh, <laughs> the right honorable Scott H. Gardner. The H stands for Horatio. <laughs> All right. 
strap in, bitches, because this is going to be take a while. So this is America versus the Justice Society. Number one, this was released October 25th, 1984, although it had a January 1985 cover date on it. Cover artist on this was Jerry Ordway, and the cover is pretty cool. It has a giant orange Batman, because he's supposed to be in, like, dramatic lighting. It's, like, dark, moody lighting, and it's a giant Batman. He's holding open a book that you don't know what it is. Could be a Bible, could be anything, a textbook, whatever, and it has a big bookmark in it. And in the open book are standing the figures of the Justice Society, except for Hawkman and Superman that are in the air. They're flying. And Batman is saying, I accuse the JSA of treason. And uh, there's a little cover uh, cover blurb here that says, special double-sized issue as Batman speaks from beyond the grave. And uh, I like this cover. I think it's, uh, I think it's a very iconic cover. And uh, a nice kickoff to the series. I would actually have liked to have seen this uh, be uh, the promotional poster as opposed to the promotional poster that we got, although I like the promotional poster quite a bit. It, it kind of looks like Batman is either wearing his cape or judge's robes. Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I wonder if that's intentional, you know, to make it look like he's, he's ju- you know, I mean, clearly he's accusing them. He says, I accuse, but also judging them at the same, at the same time. Uh, a lot of negative space behind him, though. I mean, there's really not much. I guess they don't want to crowd out logo or, or make it too cluttered or what. But it'd be cool if there was like uh, like justice scales over his shoulder or something mm-hmm. like that. Would would add that much more to it? I think. Uh, let's see what else here. Cover price on this was a dollar fifty, which today seems rather cheap. But you got to remember, this was at a time uh, when the standard DC comic was seventy-five cents. So this was twice the price of a standard DC comic. Uh, however, this uh, sucker is forty-eight pages, no ads. So I mean, you got your money's worth out of it. Oh, right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Writer-editor on this was Roy Thomas. The penciler is Raphael Kayanen. I, th- I hope that's how you pronounce his name. Who uh, I did not remember that. I was uh, pleasantly uh, surprised to discover that it was him that penciled this issue because I rather liked his stuff on um, Firestorm. And beyond Firestorm, I'm not really sure where else I, I ever have seen his art. Uh, but I did like that stuff quite a bit. I think he did um, either... Eric, because I think he worked with uh, with Roy Thomas on a couple other things, and I'm pretty sure. Uh, either, uh, I'm I'm thinking either Eric or Arion. Could be, could be. Yeah, those are both. Uh, I'll admit freely that those are both kind of blind spots for me as uh, as far as comics go. I I don't know much about either one. Uh, Rich Buckler uh, penciled a few pages in this. He penciled pages four, six, and seven. And Jerry Ordway actually drew uh, page 12 himself, which in itself is a, uh, a great splash page. Uh, again, very poster-worthy as well. Uh, on everything else, Alfreda Alcala and Bill Collins were the inkers, and you can really see the Alfredo Alcala uh, influence in this, particularly in this first issue, I think. Dan Thomas, who is uh, Roy's wife, she was uh, credited as co-plotter. Got Cody as the letter, Adrian Roy colorist, and Rich Morrissey was a consultant. The overall story does not have a title. Uh, this is very old school comics, so each individual chapter has titles. 
So chapter one of the story was entitled simply, I Accuse. Now, there is no roll call in this, but, you know, I'm very fond of the roll call, as I've mentioned before. So I made one up for you. So roll call for this issue, we've got Starman, Superman, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Wonder Woman, Robin, Wildcat, The Atom, Dr. Fate, Johnny Thunder, Our Man, Dr. Midnight, and The Flash, with special appearances by Infinity Incorporated, The Huntress, and The Sandman. It is Tuesday, November 26th, 1984, on the world we've come to know as Earth 2. In the meeting place of the illustrious Justice Society of America, one pissed-off Superman disgustedly flings aside the latest copy of the Daily Star, shouting, They really did it! What they did was publish the diary of their dear departed friend and colleague, the Batman, in which the Dark Knight detective accuses his old chums, the JSA, of being stooges for Hitler. The team is stunned. How could their pal do this to them? While the team tries to come up with a plan of action, Superman recaps the events that, lead, uh, that led rather to this moment. It all began yesterday when said Bat Diary was unceremoniously plopped onto the desk of Clark Kent, managing editor of the Metropolis Daily Star, by one Dr. Nichols, an aged scientist who used to send Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson back in time through hypnosis. I feel the need to say those last five words again. Back in time through hypnosis. That's how they discovered the origin of the Batcave. Okay. <laughs> you know, come to think of it, there's a story that, goofy as it is, I really liked from Brave and the Bold, where Batman was sent back to the Civil War era and had a team up with Scalp Hunter. And if I remember right, he was sent back by hypnosis. I wonder if it's that same Dr. Nichols dude. I never thought of that before. I'll have to look into that at some point. Anyway, during this flashback, we get another flashback. To the night not long ago when Dr. Nichols, who has a heart condition, nearly bought the farm when the Dread Avenger came in through the window to entrust his diary to the old man's care. If anything happens to me, explained the Batman, you're to see this gets published. The Batman fulfilled, Dr. Nichols departs, leaving Clark Kent to examine the book with his supervision where he determines it is the real McCoy. This diary was penned by the Batman. In it, Batman tells the origin of the Golden Age of Heroes, how Superman made the scene in 1938, taking the law into his own hands to force a confession uh, from a corrupt lobbyist in Washington. How he himself, the Batman, debuted in 1939, complete with a gun. Then the Spectre, the Atom, Dr. Fate, the Sandman, and Hawkman follow. Eventually, and perhaps inevitably, Hero meets Hero, and for the first time in, the, in late 1940, uh, at the behest of FDR himself, Batman, Green Lantern, and The Flash teamed up, and they were sent to Berlin to stop Adolf Hitler. For the full story, give a listen to Tales episode number 12, where we covered where that actually happened in, uh, what was that called, DC Special 29, I think? Yeah, DC Special 29. Yeah, great book. Essentially, in that adventure, Hitler was able to stymie the nascent JSA by use of the Spear of Destiny. But in Batman's account of the event, the heroes were won over by the pure charisma and hypnotic magnetism of, of, of kindly old Uncle Adolf. 
and became full-fledged sympathizers and collaborators. In other words, traitors. The journal continues to twist and skew and discredit the history of the Justice Society, painting an ugly picture of an ultimately toothless organization that failed to stop Hitler, not because they were powerless to cross into Germany and take him out, but because they were Nazis too. The two most damning pieces of evidence, the team's failure to prevent the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the apparent sabotage of the bomb defense formula. The entries continue chronicling the history of the JSA, albeit with a sinister bent, through their wartime and post-war adventures right up to their sudden disappearance from Fallon's un-American activities witch hunt. The day of the masked hero was over. America steamrolled along through the 50s and a new age and breed of heroes. Eventually, in 63, the JSA returned, and eventually the age team received some much-needed new blood when Robin, the time-displaced star-spangled kid, and Power Girl joined. The recap reaches the present, and the diary entries halt just shy of Batman's death at the hands of Bill Jensen. Clark Kent recalls how Dr. Fate used his powers to make the public believe that Batman and Bruce Wayne died separate deaths on the same day. But now, Kent pounders, maybe Fate's work must be undone. Superman's recollections are brief, uh, abruptly halted by the sound of the U.S. Army shouting orders via bullhorn to come out peaceably. They've been found. Superman, who, along with Robin, is not accused in the Batman's diary, steps out and, as a show of faith, surrenders along with the rest of the team. Chapter 2, entitled Witness for the Persecution, sees the manacled JSA led away in chains and loaded into a waiting helicopter. Across the land, we are treated to the reactions of ordinary citizens and fellow superheroes alike to the arrest and capture of the world's first super team. In Washington, D.C., newspaper owner A.K. O'Fallon, son of the late Senator O'Fallon, swears to use all his resources to avenge his father's memory and see the JSA taken down. The team, in jail, is visited by the Huntress in her civilian guise as lawyer Helena Wayne, counsel to the JSA. The way she sees it, there are two things that the prosecution is going to try to nail them on. One, working for Hitler during the war, and two, sabotage of the bomb defense ray back in 1941. In order to get the facts straight, Helena has Flash once again recap the secret origin of the JSA for us, second time in the issue. But this time, it does play out the way we saw it way back in DC Special Series number 29. Flash also tells the tale of the Time Trust, a group of scientists all working on developing methods of time travel and the team's journey to the far-flung future in order to bring back a device that would protect the 1940s America from Axis bombings. Unfortunately, the device failed during its second test for reasons unknown today. Just then, a guard comes in to tell Helena that there's something on the tube that he thinks that she should see. To her horror and the surprise of everyone in the room, the TV is showing breaking news of the announcement of the identity of the special legal counsel to the committee investigating these charges of treason. None other than Dick Grayson. In committee chairman Hoskins' office, Grayson is watching the same breaking story and is not pleased. Hoskins promised him the opportunity to tell Helena 
of his decision to act as counsel to the uh, committee personally, not to learn about it on television. Hoskins tells Dick not to worry. In fact, he has an ace in the hole. The man who convinced Hoskins that the JSA committed treason during World War II, the wizard. Next issue, trial by Congress. Alrighty, folks, going back to All-Star Companion Volume 2 for the notes that were typed up about this particular issue. And, and before I start these notes, bravo, sir, uh, doing a very concise synopsis of that. <laughs> Thank you. It was not as easy as it may have sounded. Alrighty. Uh, notes. Comics collector and researcher Rich, Rich, excuse me, not Rick, Rich Morrissey is listed as consultant. Credits of number one. The JSA returned to Civic City in this story, where they had met from All-Star Comics 45 to 57. Black Canary is not part of these proceedings because she'd long since migrated to Earth-1 and joined the Justice League of America, or as was revealed around this time, her daughter had. And I'd just like to take a moment to curse the podcasting gods that Scott and I had to talk about that story <laughs> uh, The Sandman is absent because of a recent stroke reported in Infinity Incorporated number one. Uh, on Earth 2 in the 1980s, Clark Kent is managing editor of the Metropolis Daily Star. A balding Jimmy Olsen is also an editor there. Batman is shown using a gun as per an adventure or two in 1939-1940 issues of Detective Comics. It's highly improbable Hitler would have considered launching Operation Sea Lion, his planned invasion of England in 1940, as late in the year as November as per the 1977 origin. That story would more logically have been set in September, but writer Paul Levitz probably felt the JSA should be formed not long before its first official get-together. The first official JSA meeting recorded in All-Star number 3 is retroactively dated as having occurred on November 22nd, 1940. By an amazing coincidence, the day Roy Thomas was born. In our world, that issue did go on sale in that month and year, and at least one copy had been found to actually stamped 1122 by a retailer or wholesaler. That's interesting, I never knew that. Hmm. Various scenes from published JSA adventures, both in All-Star from 4 to 14 and elsewhere, are recounted in number 1. One or two episodes are recounted twice, with uh, details differing greatly between the quote-unquote revelations of the Batman diary and the hero's own accounts. Part of this repetition occurred because two issues worth of material was combined into one volume in the 11th hour. FDR made wire recordings of doings in the Oval Office, a fact only revealed in the early 1980s. The technology was a forerunner of audio tape recordings. Scenes from All-Star Squadron are also briefly recounted in number one as the events of December 6th and 7th, 1941, Uncle Sam's founding of the Freedom Fighters in that same month, and the menace of Professor Napier's flying eye are incidents from several of the Justice League Justice Society team-ups that began in 1963 and from the late 1970s revival of the JSA. There is a mention of a JSA reunion at the funeral of President Franklin Roosevelt in 1945, a story which would be told in the last days of the Justice Society special. 
One of Roy Thomas's retroactive concepts for All-Star Squadron, also utilized in America versus the JSA, is the so-called Time Trust, consisting of the scientists who, in 1941, were researching time travel in All-Star Comics number 10. None of these were given a name in the original comic, though Dr. Everson was identified in number 22, 21. Excuse me. Retroactively, Roy Thomas... Thomas added Professor Z from All-Star number 35 and Dr. Swanley from number 53 and even Dr. Doom from 19 uh, with an E, Professor Allen, just to tell you, <laughs> uh, from 1942's Leading Comics number 2 and Per Degaton of All-Star number 35 and 37, already Z's assistant in 41. Seemed logical that all these savants might have worked on the same World War II time travel project. Infinity Incorporated are shown watching the congressional hearings on TV, uncertain what to do about them. TV newscaster Andrew Vinson pops up from 1978 issues of Showcase starring Power Girl, the Earth 2 Superman's cousin. The death of Bruce Wayne, the Earth 2 Batman, was depicted in Adventure Comics number 462. Helena Wayne, Bruce's daughter, was introduced in All-Star Comics number 69. Her background was revealed at virtually the same time in a special 17th issue of DC Superstars. All of those you can hear on early episodes of this very show. Mm-hmm. Dick Grayson wears a more adult variant of his Robin costume, introduced in Justice League of America number 92, worn by the older Earth-1 Robin, and designed by Neil Adams. The Earth-2 Robin donned a revamped version of it in All-Star Comics number 58, which you can hear in the very second episode of this show. <laughs> yeah, I'm shilling our back episodes. Uh... <laughs> The back cover of this issue is a recreation of Al Delling's, uh, by Al Delling's, excuse me, of E.E. E. Hibbard's <laughs> cover for uh, All-Star Comics number four. Cool. That's a lot of notes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, I don't have near as many notes on this. Uh, I do have some, though. Okay. Uh, did you want me to run all my notes first, or yeah, did you want to do your notes? Oh, okay. All right. Um... Right off the bat, just a general observation, I really miss the Earth 2 Superman, and this issue really brought that back to me. He, I, I like how he's kind of front and center in the beginning part of this story. He kind of takes charge, and he's the one that's, uh, seemingly anyway, the one that's most indignant uh, about these charges. I really like the way he's drawn in this. Um, I've got... At length in prior episodes about Alfreda Alcala uh, working on this title and working on you know superheroes in general, so I don't want to belabor the point. I don't necessarily think he's the right inker for this. That said, though, there are several panels with uh, Earth Two Superman that I thought looked really really cool in this, and uh, and I like the the stuff with him. I, like I said, I've just I've just missed the character, and this kind of brought it back to me. Um. Apparently, months have passed since the Generations saga, which I thought was interesting. They haven't told us exactly how much time, but clearly some time has gone by, and it's mentioned uh, uh, very in the very beginning of this by Wonder Woman. She just, you know, that's exactly what she says. Months, uh, uh, let's see, she says, it's uh, been only a few months since uh, some of us nearly wrecked the world, and then there's a footnote that that's a reference to the Generations saga. Page five. Batman coming in the window at the bottom panel and scaring the bejesus out of Dr. Nichols. That is an awesome-looking Batman. Mm -hmm. He he just looks really good in that picture. I like it a lot. 
turn the page and not so much. <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> it goes from, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to nail this one down. It's very, um, to me, it's very Don Newton esque. The Batman on page five. The one on the next page is, I don't know. The Batman Swan, is horribly maybe? inconsistent throughout this oh, entire he, issue. Yeah, yeah, he really is. It's almost like the artist is aping other artists' styles in some of the poses or what. I don't want to say he's swiping. I think that's too strong an accusation. But, it, yeah, he the Batman is very inconsistent, uh, often panel to panel, I noticed in this. Uh, page six. I love the little one-panel recap of action number one with Superman dragging the uh, lobbyist through the air. It's just great. He's holding his foot and just dragging him along. I I love that. It's great. And Superman leaping, too, which I think is really cool. Uh, Jumping way ahead here, uh, I've got page 13. Let me see what the hell my note was about. Page 13, panel 3... No, I've got the wrong page for some reason here. I don't know. Give me just a moment to see. I've got my note says, I can't imagine Batman saying, check it out. And I know he's, oh, yes, it is. Okay, I was correct. Page 13, it's in the panel. It's in the uh, caption. This is Batman's diary. We're still in the diary. It says, but check it out. The money never helped any war orphans. And I, I just, check it out is not a phrase that I can imagine Batman saying. You know, it just, it, that yeah. really struck me as an odd but, bit of dialogue. Check it out, brothers. <laughs> check it out, man. Digs, chicks dig the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Page 17, the last panel. I just, I love the uh, one panel recap of Superman versus Wonder Woman. I thought that was pretty cool, too. I, I, I do like. The nature of the narrative is really wordy, but I do like this, and I thought it was really cool. You, on uh, page 19, third panel, we get uh, the JSA FDR, and then later, when reading the notes that, that you just read, we actually learn that this is a future event, or at least, you know, in the timeline, it's already happened, of course, but we never saw this, but we will see it eventually in Last Days of the JSA. I think that's cool. And that was kind of the fun of this narrative was that as he's going through this timeline, I'm wondering, hmm, are, is he going to lay some spoilers here for things that we haven't seen happen yet in All-Star? Because you have to remember that this story is taking place concurrently with events in in Infinity Inc., which was a contemporary book. You know, it takes place in 84 and 85. But a lot of the events that are being referred back to in this take place in the era of All-Star Squadron or rather Squadron. So I, I kept wondering, were they going to spoil things that we haven't seen yet? A couple of them are, like, uh, like Robot Man, for example, is kind of spoiled for us. But that was Roy actually incorporating a story that he didn't write, that he didn't necessarily agree with. Uh, it was one of those whatever happened to stories. And in this case, it was whatever happened to Robot Man, which told you know what eventually happened to him post the war and post All-Star Squadron and all that. I liked that. I mean, the man really worked hard to pull in all these these diverse stories and these different 
pieces of the continuity to make one cohesive whole in this story. I greatly respect that. It just makes for a hell of a meaty read when you sit down to, to pour through it all at once. Uh, let's see what else I've got on this. Page 20. Uh, the revelation that Batman was left-handed. Or at least used a left-handed script. I just thought that that was interesting. Uh, page 23. But that kind of shows how paranoid he was about his double identity. Right. That he, that he taught himself to write ambidextrously so that nobody could match the heart, the handwriting. Uh, that uh, That's going a little too far, Batman. But, you know, I appreciate the effort. Right. Still pretty neat, though. Uh, page 23, I love that bottom panel. That is, it's an homage more than a, a swipe or anything like that, but it definitely an homage to the cover to uh, All-Star 58, which I, I just, for squad cover, I think that's really, uh, it's nicely done without being just simply a recreation. It's like this artist's interpretation of that same thing. I thought that was really nice. Without the shadow. Right, yeah, you're right. I hadn't even noticed that. Page 24. Are you sure that's Jimmy Olsen? Because I really thought that was Ron Howard. (laughs) (laughs) Page 26 and and throughout for the next several panels. Kryptonite manacles. Neat idea, except uh, shouldn't he be dead? Yeah. I never understand when they forge these things out of Superman to, like, restrain him. Kryptonite's kryptonite, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think in Earth 2, I'm going to no-prize this, I think in Earth 2 it would eventually kill him, but what it normally did was just sap his strength. I gotcha. So is he not, does he still not get the, the, the feigning woozies when the kryptonite's around? Um, I'd have to go back and read that first story. But if I'm remembering that first issue from the Golden Age, uh, which uh, introduced Kryptonite into the comics, uh, one, it was red. Right. Uh, and two, it was more of something that just made him weak. I got gotcha. Rather than something that was going to kill him. I mean, it's a nitpick, granted, but it, it was just, it's always, you know, the, the main reason I bring it up is that this is hardly the first time I've seen that sort of thing happen. I mean, Superman's wrapped in Kryptonite chains on the cover of... Uh, Captain Carrot number one. And as cool as that cover is, that was the first thought I had was that, well, he'll be dead in about three minutes, you know? I, I understand the intent is to remove his strength and, and chain him and restrain him. I get that, but you're restraining him with a deadly radiation, you know, radioactive thing, you know? So I, I've never understood that. Uh, page 27, Robin looks friggin' awesome on this page. Full page splash of the JSA being marched to the uh, waiting helicopter, and he's got his fists balled and his teeth clenched, and he just looks badass. That's a really, really cool pose right there. Uh, just the uh, the regular domino mask, or or better yet, that uh, that open at the hairline mask that he had for a while. I really liked that one. But other than the the mask itself, I really, really, really like this outfit. I always thought that was really cool. Page 30, panel 2, Helena calls uh, Superman Uncle Clark. I really thought that that was cool, but have we... Is this the first time for that? I don't recall that. Uh, my, I 
think she's called him that in the past. That really got me to thinking about just how cool that is. You know, how cool would that be to grow up and and span is your you know, not by blood or anything, of course, but essentially your uncle, you know, like, yeah. like a favorite uncle. I think that's neat and, and, and makes me that much more wistful for, for this, you know, for earth too, you know, that's an unexplored thing that, uh, that could have been touched more upon, you know, the, the, her growing up with Superman as an uncle. I just think that's a, that's great story potential right there. Uh, page 31 panel four. Love the use of the capes as Robin and uh, Huntress hug it out there. I just think that that's really cool. I really like the, um, what did they call that? Scalloped? The scalloped cape? Yes. I think is how I've heard that with, uh, with Robin. I think that looks really sharp. Because there's a very similar panel at the top of uh, page 30, that first panel of Robin standing there watching the um, helicopter fly away with his cape you know, flowing out behind him. It's essentially Batman's cape. But just somehow the the color scheme really works. I I like it yellow. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why. I just it somehow that that really works for him. Um, I loved page uh, thirty four and the reactions from you know just ordinary citizens and the goofy little things that they say. I, I thought that that was really interesting. Page forty two, jumping way ahead here. Uh, page forty two, panel three, confirmation that the adventures of the specter that we saw in adventure comics by Jim Aparo. And I forget who the writer was on that. I want to say David Michelinie, if I'm not mistaken. No, that was um, Michael Fleischer. Michael Fleischer. That's right. That's right. I stand corrected. Um, That that was actually the same specter that he had migrated much like uh, black canary did migrated to earth one. And, Spoiler comes back to Earth 2 for a bit in this story, too, which I think is really cool. But that happens next issue. Uh, That was pretty much it as far as my notes on this. As I say, a a hell of a meaty read, but that's not to say I didn't like it. It just took me forever and a day to read it. It's a little slow. It does read. um, I would say if you've ever read something like um, like Marvel Saga, it reads a lot like that. It's rather texty if you know what i mean it, it, it reads more like a uh uh well i'm it's a history it's a timeline of the events uh, of these characters and this team and it is not a you know a, a fisticuff you know action adventure story it, it's very much um uh a, a history story or a history lesson at this point in it so it was a little drier than I was anticipating it to be, having not read it probably since '85, to be honest with you. But uh, I, I still, I still enjoyed it. What do you got? Well, my first note was how repetitive it was, but then I read that thing in the All Star Companion saying that originally this was supposed to be two issues. So. On one hand, I'll give it a pass, but on the other hand, I'm not going to give it that much of a pass because you knew this was going into one thing. So basically, uh, you were you you you're basically telling the audience, "Here's the story, and here's the story again from another perspective." But by the time you get to the second time, you're just like, "God, I need a nap." So, 
Um, Do you think that that's a result of of Thomas editing himself? Probably, uh, I would say that more than likely. It's it's why I've never really liked the idea of writer editors. Right. Uh, I really do think, and and I know some writers feel, especially that were editors like Thomas and Wolfman were, probably felt that they didn't need that. But I think you need that second set of eyes uh, looking over it going, you know, not telling you what to write, not spoon feeding you dialogue or rewriting it, but just a good editor I always thought was somebody who had a clear, who was with the writer and the creators on the direction to take it in. And then kind of acts as like you know to keep somebody in bounds, like oh you're 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 drifting, get back to the point and mm-hmm. all that. So, uh, page one, I like the fact that this is a color photo composite, um, on the on the newspaper. That's an interesting little detail uh, to show that basically it wasn't a group shot; it was just somebody putting a bunch of pictures together. Uh, pages two and three, I'm going to agree with you about the art. Uh, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it really depends on the character. Like, for whatever reason, the Flash looks fantastic throughout this entire story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some other characters, eh, not so much. I thought they had gone with the idea that this Superman wasn't as powerful as the Earth One Superman. So, on page two, how is he throwing that paper through the wall so hard that it's not even leaving a mark. I purposely skipped that in my synopsis because I'm just going to come clean. That's stupid. I don't care how powerful you are. You don't throw a newspaper through, not like that. I mean, they're implying that it, it like punches perfectly the shape of the rolled up newspaper through the door, which I just think that's really silly. I could see he throws it like hard enough that it smacks the door and like smashes a hole through the door. That I could buy, but not the way they're depicting it here. That's uh, that. Come on, that's just silly. Um, during the early Daily Star scenes, uh, Clark Kent looks more like Martin Stein than Clark Kent. Right. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if that's because Alf- uh, Raphael K. Annan also drew Firestorm. Good points. Yeah. So. Um, uh, I, I will agree with you that I will not call anything in this swipes. I will definitely call them homages. Uh, mainly because this is a history tome, so it makes sense that they would want to reference the artwork and not refer to it as like a swipe. Right, right. Uh, which is which is why I liked pages six and seven so much, because we got to see like early adventures of all these heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, Page 8, Hitler looks like he needs to go to his room without his dinner. <laughs> uh, I don't know why he looks five, but okay. Uh, <laughs> He's having a fit. Yeah, but I want to uh, win the war. <laughs> page 9, more wildly inconsistent Batman at the top there. Uh, it's like sometimes they got him right and sometimes not so much. So It's kind of unfortunate because he's one of the big guns. So The... Uh, the uh, page 12, the Ordway redo of uh, that uh, all-star, uh, all-star cover mm-hmm. is amazing. Well, it's yeah. Jerry Ordway, so you know, you're know you really not going to expect anything different, really. Uh, I, I got to admit that outside of, you know, it, it neat him kind of putting all of these events in order, 
I kind of checked in and out of the story mentally as I was reading it. <laughs> uh, that sounds bad. It's not that I was... And, and like I said, it's not that I didn't enjoy myself. But when it got to the point where it showed Superman and Wonder Woman fighting, I'm like, oh, awesome. They're actually putting that into context of the overall narrative. That's cool. I like that. Uh, and I liked seeing like the quality heroes. But it just got to the point where I felt like they were kind of going over things needlessly, almost. Uh, but then you get to pages like page 22. I love the shot of Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman on the bottom of that page. Basically, very metatextually saying, these are the only characters that survived. Right, um, right. Um, uh, page 23, is that Elvis or David Banner playing the guitar? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I get, and, and, and is that Nikita Khrushchev or is that Ike? I mean, <laughs> Jerry Ordway, we really needed you on this story. Um, like you though, on the bottom of page 23, I love that redo of all-star number 58. Yes. Um, page 24, uh, is Batman dying or doing an interpretive dance? <laughs> He's going, Rah, I claw you with my bad claws. <laughs> so, um, it looks like he's bitch fighting, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a I'm gonna slap you <laughs> like that uh, episode of South Park where uh, Kyle and Cartman have the fight through the studio, <laughs> and all they're doing is going. <laughs> it was freaking hilarious. <laughs> Um, when we get into the second chapter, God, the, like, the first few pages of this, the artwork, it's where I kind of sat back up with the story. Because it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. That two-page splash of them on pages 28 and 29 being loaded into the helicopter. Mm -hmm. One, how big is that damn helicopter? (laughs) But beyond that, everyone looks good. Hawkman, the Atom... The Flash, Robin looks so sad in the background with his cape swirling. I mean, it's just like, this is like everything you want. The only problem is that Superman looks a little off. Uh, But it's like the further back that it goes, the characters start losing detail. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's a perspective problem or not. Uh, Page 30, Robin sitting there all curled up. Dude, man up. Come on, seriously. (laughs) You, you, you look like you're about to start cutting yourself, so you'll feel. Um, page 31, uh, they hug, and given certain instances in the Huntress backups, that's creepy. Is that a batarang in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> not now! Jeez! I'm sorry. This art team does not do Infinity Incorporated any justice. <laughs> uh, um, this is the dramatization in my head, though, of page 33. That kind of talk will get you a fat lip, Shadow Man. Uh, Hector Hall says, you hear me? This is Hawkman's number one son talking at you. Whoa, Heck Fury says. Obsidian's not your enemy. Still, if he can say that, what hope is there for the rest of the country? Maybe we will have to go bust them out of jail. I'm ready. Look, Nuclon says, Northwind and I are just a couple of honorary godsons, but we vote to cool it for a while till the dust settles. Well said, Nuclon. You know what? I hate Northwind, so I'm going to change my vote. Let's go bust them out. That's what I wanted to happen, but... 
Everybody <laughs> hates Northwind. <laughs> should say well, He goes. I vote for the <laughs> vote for the cool down, and then he goes. And I also vote for him to be out of the team. Can we can we take a vote for that right now? <laughs> Scott and I joked on uh, messaging each other while prepping for this episode that we really should some <laughs> should uh, rename this uh, show "Tales of the We Hate Norda." Society of America. So, <laughs> everybody hates Norda. Everybody, everybody does hate Norda. We have yet, and and if someone's going to write in with a sarcastic, "Well, I like Norda," no, that that doesn't count. <laughs> if you like Norda, I'm going to want a like impassioned reasoning about why this character is not a waste of space. Uh, page uh, thirty four. The the normal man's reaction to. Uh, to the uh, the JSA one, uh, the guy in the upper left hand corner kind of looks like Ronnie Raymond. Yeah, uh, and and two, the woman taking uh, who burned the the dinner again. Uh, she goes, "What's that? Some airline going bankrupt?" So, I guess <laughs> I guess JSA Airlines uh, would kind of sound like TSA. So, right, page thirty five, that last panel. They're really going for ominous. That coloring does not help. <laughs> it looks like uh, he's got a bad sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, page uh, thirty-six. Superman in that bottom uh, that bottom panel looks like I've been working on my abs and my glutes. <laughs> I've just been lifting a lot of weights lately. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. It's just the art just takes like a total. It is so inconsistent. Because yeah. like on the very next page, Superman looks great. Yep. Um, have to say, Huntress in her Helena Wayne disguise never looks good. In this entire issue, her those glasses are ridiculous. I, it just does nothing for me. Um, page 40. Is that Edward R. Murrow? Or Vincent Price? I mean, who is that in the... Uh... In the top, it does in look that like Vincent panel. Price. You're right. <laughs> so, uh, though Batman looks really cool on that page. Actually, Batman and Flash, Green Lantern, not so much. The um, the back end of this book is just, God. We just went through all this. I realize you're telling us what really happened, but man, I just hope in the next issue it's not just a total recounting of all this history all over again. <laughs> Dick Grayson's suddenly old again at the end of the issue. Oh, I, him and Wonder Woman both suffer from the old again, young again, old again, young again, high boobs, low boobs. It's like, Jesus Christ, can we have a little consistency here? Yeah, I noticed that repeatedly through the issue with them. And outside of his uh, goatee looking a little redunculous, the wizard actually looks really cool on this last one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That last uh, page, I, I couldn't tell you exactly why. Maybe it's the outfit, but this final page of this reminded me of the final page of uh, The Shadow Number 1 by uh, Howard Chaikin. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. read that or not, but yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So. But, you know, it, it's just... I am one of these people that loves to read histories of comics and teams and stuff. It's why I loved Who's Who. The problem with reading this is that it was kind of like... This is going to sound weird. It was kind of like reading Snake Eyes Declassified about six or seven years ago 
when uh, Devil's Due had the G.I. Joe license, they put out a six-issue miniseries, which was the entire history of Snake Eyes as a character. And what I got from reading that origin is that when you read Snake Eyes' story over like a hundred issues and you're getting piecemeal bits and pieces, it's okay. But when you read that all together, you want to load a shotgun in your mouth because (laughs) it's so damn depressing. And this wasn't depressing, but when you put everything together like this, it's like, you know, Shag over on the Who's Who podcast has a criticism, which I which I actually agree with, is that some of the entries were like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. And that's what this felt like, is that over and over again it was like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. So it, it kind of took away from my enjoyment, especially, I've never read this. This is the first time I've ever read this miniseries. Ah, uh, okay. So I was really, maybe I built it up in my head too much, uh, which is always a possibility. But it's just like, I really hope that the back end of this story kind of picks up. Uh, because, you know, the issue that we just talked about and the issue we're about to talk about, they weren't disappointing. Like, I didn't feel like I wasted my time, but it was just like, man, afterwards I, I wanted a nap and a snack and a juice box or something. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> oh, that, that's That's really all I have. Well, the one that you're about to do, I, I liked a lot better because we begin to work our way out of the pure history les- uh, lesson portion of this and get into um, some actual happenings. Some some stuff goes down. We get the return of a of a particular character, which I liked that sequence. So uh, sad for me is that all I have read this before, but all I have are warm fuzzies, but I don't remember why I had the warm fuzzies about it because so far, you know, well, at least with the first issue, I was kind of like, Ooh, this is not what I remember, you know? So I, I'm, I'm hoping, as you say, that we get to the end of this and we're like, okay, that was really cool because I, I don't remember where the story's going with this. I have suspicions as to who's pulling the strings and that sort of thing and what's going on, but I, I just don't remember the specifics enough. Well, I think this is a good time for us to take a break, play a few trailers, and when we come back, uh, I'll tell you all about the second issue. Sweet. Hey, Paul, what's up? Ah, not much. What's going on? I'm I'm just a little confused lately. I yeah. What else is new? Well, you know, m- more than usual. I try to go to get the shows that we just put up, and I was having problems finding them. Well, we having trouble finding. Well, I couldn't find Back to the Bins. I couldn't find. Avengers Spotlight, of course, you can only find those when I actually edit them. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> Oh, you took the words right out of my they're, they're on the feed, Bill. Yeah, I know, that's where I went. I went to the feed, but they weren't there. You know, you gotta go to the feed. You gotta go to the Back to the Bins feed. The Back to the Bins feed? What's yeah, that? Back to the Bins feed. You gotta go to iTunes, you look for, look up Back to the Bins, and you subscribe to the Back to the Bins feed. But I went to Two True Freaks. Yeah, we're on that feed, too. What? Where? On the feed. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying that we're on... All right, so if I wanted to go find the shows that we've done, I'm going to go on to iTunes, and I'm going to click on Back to the Bins, and I'll find Back to the Bins and Avengers Spotlight in the feed. Exactly. I don't even know what I'm talking about! Bill, you go to the feed. You subscribe to the show. You subscribe to whichever show you want, and then you get it. It's that what simple. Sh- you just got to go to the feed. What show do I want? 
Back to the bins. Where? An Avengers Spotlight. Oh, I'm so confused. They're on iTunes. They're on what? TwoTrueFreaks.com. You want them, uh, you get them. They're you all got there them? for you. All the oh. shows are there. They're still all available, Bill. All right, on the so... Feed. The feed. If you say feed one more time, I'm going to break your arm. Oh. Scott, could you tell him... Hey, man, don't, don't drag me into this, because... Uh... It's no skin off my ass. I'm on all the feeds. <laughs> Bastard. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story. Monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com Superman Captain Marvel. Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2. Sergeant Rock. The Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Tommy Tomorrow. Jonah Hex. Commandy. It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing. Wonder Woman. The New Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds will live. Green Arrow. Worlds will die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Area. The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. The Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents... And many, many more. Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Coming January only at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Alrighty, we are back with America versus the Justice Society, issue number two. This bad boy had a February 1985 cover date. It was released, though, on November 22nd, 1984. Credits are Roy Thomas, writer-editor, Mike Hernandez. That looked like a different letter there for a second. <laughs> and Alfredo Alcala as illustrators in tandem. Dan Thomas Coplotter, Carl Gafford colorist, Cody Letterer. Continuing the most important adventure ever of the JSA trial by Congress. But this is before we get cover copy. The cover is kind of awesome. You have the specter pointing at uh, what looks like your average bad um, guy. Is that his name? The what? Or, uh, was it O'Fallon? Was that his name? 
No, that's that. This is the senator, but he looks oh, like your yeah. average bad guy from uh, early issues of All Star Squadron. Right. Um, you have Barney Fife uh, holding a gun, going "dar." <laughs> uh, the Spectre is there with the JSA, seemingly either cowering in fear or trying to hold him back. Uh, and he says, "Release the Justice Society. Die." So commands the Spectre. And if you're like, Mike, that sounds really weird. Um, that's what it says. There is no or die. Right. It just says die. Um, so this, <laughs> so Spectre is apparently not playing in this one. See, I'm with you, though. I suspect it's supposed to say or die. Yeah. Just by the way that the word die is kind of shifted off to the right. I, I think that something fell off here in the, uh, in the printing or something, but oddly, that is not remarked upon in the footnotes. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Um, maybe it slipped notice all <laughs> that entire time. So we have the first page of this bad boy, which shows all of the Justice Society members sitting there or standing there in the uh, congressional thing. Johnny Thunder is, of course, uh, useless, uh, because that's just, um, yeah. So... Many a time since the autumn of 1940 has this legendary role been called. Yet today, amid the mocking echoes of a rented hall in the nation's capital, the long, illustrious names are those of uh, men and women and a woman who stand accused of the crime of treason against the land they have proudly served for decades. Uh, see issue one, by the way. Hawkman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Superman... Dr. Midnight, Dr. Fate, Starman, Sandman, Wildcat, Hourman, Charo, The Atom, Johnny Thunder, the 1972 Miami Dolphins, and Wonder Woman. Here. This is, here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a congressional committee hearing, not a trial, and yet we are all aware that the media and the public are already referring to it as if it were a trial. As if it were the case of America versus the Justice Society of America. And somewhere Peter Griffin laughs because they said the title. Uh, the quote from this one is Sir John Harrington. Treason doth not prosper. What's the reason? For if it prosper, none dare call it treason. Which uh, I'll always associate with uh, J- the movie JFK. Because that was uh, one of the things from the final summation on that one you know i uh, totally forgot to read the the uh quote in, in the issue that i had whoops sorry about that you want to do that real quick oh sure it's uh where is it here let me flip back to it real quick you, you shamed me because as soon as you started reading that i'm like oh crap i forgot i wasn't meaning to do that <laughs> no i know you weren't it's just just the little things i forget to do sometimes this one uh, for issue 1 it was the evil that men do live after them the good is often churred with their bones and that's by uh, billy shakespeare see you have never seen free enterprise no so you do not know the rap version that bill shatner did <laughs> of this no i don't that oh man you really got to see that movie Anyways, after Helena begins her opening statement, the senators on the committee introduce themselves. There's Congresswoman Linda Valdez, who doesn't have much use for the JSA, but hey, that won't influence her at all. Right. Uh, There's Congressman Jason Phillips from uh, from Harlem, which I typed as Harlan. 
know why, <laughs> and Senator William Hopkins from Missouri. Hopkins mentions that their legal counsel is Dick Grayson. After a brief, albeit private, and really just for us introduction of the JSA's family members, the trial begins. The main points are laid out. Were the JSA members Nazi agents, and did they cover up and or sabotage a bomb defense formula? The Flash is the first to take the stand, if you really want to call it that, and he explains the JSA's real origins, how he was summoned along with Green Lantern and Batman and were sent overseas, and eventually helped form the team by preventing an invasion by honest-to-goodness Valkyries. We move forward into the team's history and hear how Superman and Batman became honorary members, and that J. Edgar Hoover himself gave them their first assignment. The roster and leadership would change over the years. Flash would step down as chairman and accept honorary status when he got his own title. I mean, <clears throat> uh, had outside assignments. Uh, with everybody's favorite member, Johnny Frickin' Thunder, taking his spot on the team. How did that happen? How, how, would, that... how would that make you feel is what I want to know. <laughs> Wait, you replaced me with this asshole? Really? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate that. Green Lantern became chairman and even led a drive to collect a million dollars for war orphans, though eventually he would leave the team and be replaced by Dr. Midnight, while Starman would take our man's place. Superman then reveals the story of Ian Carcool and how he tried to kill a bunch of people that would eventually become president, which took place in All-Star Squadron Annual Number 3. Isn't that our, Shag's favorite character, by the that way? That is Shag's favorite comic book of all time. It's just such a shame that we couldn't line up getting him on for that one, because, man, I, I know he was sitting at home in his Firestorm underoos, just uh, just drinking his Diet Mountain Dew and crying. So. <laughs> and I'm sorry to keep walking all over your synopsis here. No, but no, this no, is no, a, no, 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 there, there isn't much of a synopsis, so it's okay. This is a great place to ask the burning question I had walking away from this issue. How the hell does he know that? I thought the point of that story was that they don't know, right? Yeah. Am I remembering this properly, that we learn about um, this through I, the... I don't, I don't think it's so much the point of that story was that they don't know, but at the end of the story, you know, John Law is just like, who the hell are these assholes? And right, they yeah. walk away. I'm guessing maybe since then, they were all, like, going through some files. Like, I just imagine, like, all the JSA is, like, cleaning up and moving to their new headquarters and, like, Superman accidentally trips on something because he forgets he's not Clark Kent. <laughs> and the contents spill out. He's just like, holy crap! Right. These, these would have been nice. I mean, this story is not far in the past. I mean, that, that annual was what? Oh, in, in this timeline, right? Yeah. Yeah. That so, was, yeah. Yeah, because I remember we covered that relatively recently. Mm-hmm. You know, in the history of the show. So you would think that that would be on Roy Thomas's mind that, oh, by the way, there's a disconnect here between the way the story ended with that Twilight Zoney, you know, you see all the, the scattered files all over the ground and everything right next to Burgess Meredith's broken glasses. And the way that they're showing it here, like, oh, by the way, there's, you know, Superman's laying out the whole damn story. Well, they're not privy to that information. So it, this, I mean,. Jesus Christ, Roy Thomas gives us a footnote on every panel in this thing, yet he doesn't give us a footnote on this, which is actually really important to know, wait, how did they learn this? 
So I'm confused. I, that was actually rather a sticking point for me. It kind of took me out of the story a little bit, to be honest with you. Yeah, there's going to be a moment here where I ask, what the hell are these people talking about? <laughs> okay, uh, I'll look forward but, to that. <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll wait for my notes on that. Uh, Our Man uh, obviously proves that Helena has not prepped her witnesses carefully because he, re- he reveals his dependency on Miraclo. Uh, and really... A uh, a Senate subcommittee is probably not the time to start admitting that you had a drug problem. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm just I'm no legal expert, but I've watched a lot of Law and Order, and it just seems like that was bad. Uh, after turning down a short recess, Sandman and Doctor Midnight go through more JSA history, including their fight against the Nazis in South America, saving the scientists, and going on a time travel trip, and the whole thing with the bomb defense formula, which Midnight insists was totally not their fault. With Infinity Incorporated watching from home, the testimony moves to America's entry into World War II. Wonder Woman suggests using her magic sphere to show what really happened, like we saw in All-Star Squadron Annual Number 3. But Valdez not only turns her down, but insults her, which nearly causes the Amazon to riot. Uh, Helena reveals two more heroes that she has sent for, the Shining Knight and the man that was Robot Man, uh, who is now in the body of Chuck Grayson. But he's not Chuck Grayson. He's Robot Man. You really need to read that DC Comics Presents backup. Robot Man reveals the origin of the All-Star Squadron with the punching and the Pear Degaton and the Hurt Me! They discuss the introduction of Firebrand and how Hitler and Hirohito had mystical objects which kept them out of uh, direct fighting during the war and and we were not spies, we swear to God. The Atom testifies about how the JSA disbanded during the war to fight as soldiers, though they did get back into po- back into costume as the Justice Battalion, where they faced off against the Dragon and even had adventures in space, which, I don't know about Scott, I'm not really looking forward to. <laughs> that's stories. actually one of my notes. After the Spectre shows up and causes a scene, and that's actually kind of putting it mildly, the proceedings are recessed for the day. Dick and Helena have a tense encounter outside the chambers, while the Wizard and O'Fallon plan to bring down, bring them down, so that the Wizard can finally have his revenge. Next issue: Hostile Witness. Boy, do we mean hostile. <laughs> Let me ask you, I, I know this is breaking format slightly, but is your what the hell is going on here moment, is it on page 28 by any chance? Um, You mean the Spectre scene? No. That's page 28, that's why I was asking. Yeah, no, if, if that's not where it is, that's fine, but I, I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's got to be what he's talking about, but I guess not, because, yeah, I just f- remember that I have another big, like, what the hell's going on here moment. <laughs> so, what are the uh, official <laughs> All notes? right, here we go. Well, first off, I made a boo-boo. It turns out I can't read. Right here it says, release the Justice Society or die. Jerry Ordway's masterful cover showed the Spectre coming back from limbo and threatening to tear up half the world, if he must, to free the JSA. They talked him into cooling it. Somehow the word or before die in Speck's first balloon 
though it appeared in a house ad for the issue, dropped off the cover as printed. How I missed that before, I have no idea. So it actually was addressed in the notes here. So that clears that up. Notes on this one. We got quite a few. We got um, Sandman has recently, uh, or excuse me, has recovered rather sufficiently from his stroke to appear at the congressional hearing, although he doesn't really do much. Uh, the Earth to Clark Kent and Lois Lane were married in the early 1950s, as had been revealed several years earlier in the Mr. and Mrs. Superman series in the Superman family. Uh, Al Adam Pratt's marriage to a woman named Mary, presumably the Mary James of the 1940 stories, was revealed in DC Comics Presents number 30, February 1981. I'm presuming that's a whatever happened to the Adam story, more than likely. Cryptic comments made by Flash and Green Lantern as to the whereabouts of the Spectre refer to the latter's appearance with the Earth-1 Batman in the Brave and the Bold in recent years, as well as to a Superman-slash-Spectre confrontation in DC Comics Presents number 29, January 1978. Strangely, it does not mention Adventure Comics, but it has to refer to that as well, I would think. The JSAers relate their own versions, rather, of various of their 1940s adventures, both uh, their origin, first told in 1977, and events from All-Star Comics 3 through 14, the first few issues of All-Star Squadron, and the JSA case the world's not ready to learn about yet, as revealed in All-Star Squadron Annual Number 3. Aspects of Our Man's Miraculo Addiction were revealed in All-Star Squadron 33 through 35 and at annual number 3, the issues in which he uh, returned to crime-busting on Earth 2. Chiara Sanders first flew as Hawkgirl in Flash Comics number 24. Her first All-Star appearance was in number 8. Why I felt the need to footnote some of this information, I'm not sure. Diana Prince's husband, Steve Trevor, was badly injured during her battle with Infinity Incorporated in the latter's early days at a time when the JSAers were under the influence of the stream of ruthlessness first introduced in All-Star number 36. And that's the story that we just covered uh, in the uh, Infinity Inc. portions of, uh, of this here show. The Shining Knight and Dr. Chuck Grayson, the latter now sporting the brain, Dr. Robert, that makes it sound like he's wearing the brain outside of his skull, doesn't it? He's sporting a brain. Look at him. He's awesome. Now sporting the brain of Dr. Crane uh, that had once resided in the body of Robot Man appeared at the hearing as witnesses in the defense of the JSA. The tale of the seven soldiers of victory sojourn in limbo was told in 19 of America's uh, 100, rather, to 102. And, you know, I am still chasing those issues. I have been watching them on eBay forever, trying to track those down specifically for that story. Uh, Danette Riley first donned and altered her brother's firebrand costume in All-Star Squadron number 5. The first disbanding of the JSA and its for the duration as the Justice Battalion was related in All-Star Comics number 11, and it was expanded upon in All-Star Squadron 19 and 20. The brief recounting by Wonder Woman of events initially uh, told in 1942's All-Star Squad, uh, excuse me, All-Star rather, number 13, reflects the Shanghai into hyperspace storyline that ran from All-Star Squadron 50 through 60. 
The back cover is a recreation by Al Delinges Delings Delinges of the cover of All Star Comics number three, and I think yes, that is all of the uh, historical notes here for this issue. So, what do you got on this one, Mike? Not as much as the first issue. Uh, at least the history here, even though it was kind of a and this happened and this happened. At least it was it flowed better to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. I think the real downturn in this issue overall is uh, the art. Uh, I was not as happy with the art as I was on the previous. Really? Um, yeah, the, I, I got some specific notes on that. Um, page two, Superman looks like Alan Arkin. Uh, yes, he does. <laughs> so, which is funny because he played a superhero. Uh, I forget what the movie's called, but it was a musical. It was like the return of Captain something, where he plays like a 40s yes. superhero that comes out of retirement. It's like Captain, I want to say Courageous, but I'm not sure that's right. Yeah, I know, and, I know what uh, you're talking about, yeah. Um, Christopher Lee is in it. There's this absolutely brilliant musical number where... They managed to mingle like every alcoholic beverage ever into a into a song, which I was very impressed with. Uh, page four, uh, the senator once again looks like uh, I, I, dude. They totally used Vincent Price as the model for this guy. They had to. Um, the uh, Invincible is... Return of Captain Invincible. Yes, yeah, Return of Captain Invincible. Um. Uh, on page four at the top one, why is Wolverine in this comic? <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. And why is that chick, uh, why is Inza winking at us? Oh, uh, giving the high sign. That's not the high sign. That's a wink. <laughs> She's got a squinky eye. <laughs> I ain't got a squinky eye. <laughs> The uh, the Flash continues to look pretty awesome through this whole thing. Page six. Uh, why are we getting like overly seventies ro- uh, Dick Grayson in that uh, fourth panel uh, with like the 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 shaggy uh, white sideburns and the flared collar? That's uh, yeah. Um, page seven. Is Hitler holding the spear of destiny or a model rocket? <laughs> I, I, and Superman's not really looking too good on that page. Yeah, 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 I didn't care for that one. Um, I like the fact that when these uh, senators introduce themselves, they go out of their way to say how impartial they're going to be. I think anybody familiar with the legislative process uh, knows that that's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys are totally biased. Um, and you will never convince me otherwise. So, the um, I do like that they got different people to kind of narrate the different parts of the history. Mm-hmm. And I also like the fact that Roy goes into the reasons why certain characters stepped down or became part of the team. Uh, because at one point, certain characters were taken off the team because DC Comics and All-American Comics actually split as companies. Right. They were then two completely separate entities, uh, leading to several issues being redrawn and looking kind of weird. Page 13, uh, one, Superman looks really cool on this page. Uh, I like like that shot of him. 
But he goes, uh, due to circumstances beyond anyone's control, however, Green Lantern was able to save his man, then a boy, of course. And later on that page, you have uh, reactions from everybody. Is anybody going to believe this, even now? They saved JFK back in 41? Reagan? Nixon? And lost who? Yeah, that's what I'd like to know, too. Mm-hmm. That's my what-the-hell moment. Like, why are you even bringing it up if you're not going to reveal who it was? That bugged me. Like, a lot. Um, page 15, we see the ultimate villain of the piece. If you are familiar with our coverage of All-Star Squadron at all, you know exactly who this is. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he is, uh, yeah. It's, it's time travel, so somebody's obviously involved going to spoil that you know something that neither one of us have brought up and and i don't know if you had it in your notes i did not have it in mine but it it occurs to me that it does come up again in this is that thing that drove us i mean i know we went on an epic tirade about it so i'm almost hesitant to bring it back up but once again the events of the early issues of of um all-star squadron and the fact that it essentially at the end of the story never happened is mentioned in this and it's dismissed as you've all forgotten this, but here's the adventure Yeah, for the hundredth time. No, they didn't forget it never happened because of time travel silliness. So yeah, oh, that makes me crazy. Page 18, I like how when they show the magnetic tape, they actually go to like a like a transcript of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a neat uh, artistic touch. Kind of negated in that second to last panel where Steve Trevor looks like Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> they could stretch him into next week. Um Page 19 and 20? Wow, Wonder Woman, seriously, chill out. I mean, I know she's insulting you, but come on, really. Uh, Page 21, that first panel, is it me, or does this look like somebody stole a panel from, like, the Charlton $6 million man comic? Like, the dude with the mustache is Oscar Goldman Steve Austin. (laughs) Sure, Oscar, I can change the tire on the car. Give me just a minute. Oh, you sent me that comic, and I'll never forgive you for it. Um, the um, the art in the rest of the issue is kind of, like, wonky, but I really kind of like the page designs, because as much as, like, some of the figure work is kind of weak, I really appreciate what they were going for visually Right on this. I mean, like, you know, on page 26, you have the Adam standing there, and there's the big JSA disbands. Uh, and on the next page, you have like all of this stuff happening with rockets shooting off. And then we have, you know, them redoing famous covers and everything. It was just, it, it at least made it kind of visually interesting. Page 28. In that sixth panel, is Wonder Woman coming on to somebody? Because I know she's pushing that cop down, but she's also got kind of like the, hey boys, how you doing? And that is the stiffest kick I have seen in quite some time on that same page. All right, this uh, was one of my notes. So you're you're saying that in that sixth panel, she's she's got him by the chin and she's like forcing his head back. Yeah, because that's how I interpreted that. 
But I'm looking at it going, I can't be seeing what I think I'm seeing here. It just doesn't, yeah, it, the perspective is really odd. Plus, with her Amazonian strength, wouldn't she just snap his head off? Uh, probably. So that, that to me, was really awkward. Uh, page 31, second to last panel, Dick Grayson is really looking like Steve Austin. Uh, <laughs> there. And the Huntress just doesn't look like the Huntress at all. No. Last page. Good cliffhanger ending. Yes. I, uh, I, I liked seeing where the wizard is taking this. So, and I like that he, it's it's kind of neat that we think he's going to be the ultimate villain. Uh, and it's probably not going to end up like that, but they're playing it like it is. And it's, uh, and I like the wizard. Yeah, I do and too. The, the reason I like the wizard is Superman takes a wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, that action comics number 484 where he's the bad guy that sends Superman away and it just ruins his life. Uh, which I just thought was really cool. So seeing him trying to get his get back here and the tie in to, uh, to uh, the, the senator and all that. But but you know what? Something we really didn't talk about? The fact that uh, in on Earth 2, uh, Joseph McCarthy was killed. Right. That's interesting. That's actually really interesting. Right. I was kind of fascinated by that. Uh, I don't know if that... Well, was it McCarthy or was it... Uh... Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, McCarthy was killed, and then it's the O'Fallon guy was the one yeah. that, that held the hearings uh, against them and all. But then he, something happened to him as well, and that's why his kid is on such a rampage in this, because he thinks that the JSA had something to do with his father's death. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really interesting, uh, and I hope that's paid off later, and it's not just something that they drop here and that's it. Right. Uh, but that's all I got on this one. All right. I've got a few things. Now, again, like you, not as many notes on this. You know, uh, initially, uh, the, I reacted the way I did to what you said about the art because I was really going to say, you know, I, I thought the art was so much better. It really took a big step up. But, you know, as, as you were speaking and, and pointing out different panels and all, now I'm a little conflicted. I, I don't know that I necessarily do think the art is improved from the last issue. It's definitely different. You can tell that something has changed, which it has. You know, the, the penciler has changed on this. I think what the my initial reaction, thinking that the art was better, is that I like the inking better on this one. But you're right. There's a lot of inconsistency in the art. I think the layouts are, are really well done. You know, nicely, uh, you know, just nicely laid out on the page. But some of the finished renderings uh, aren't the best. And, and again, you've got a problem with characters uh, aging and de-aging by the look of the art, particularly Wonder Woman. This, this was the issue that was really bad with Wonder Woman. You've got panels where she, she looks really old. You've got panels where she looks nice and young and fit and everything's you know where it's supposed to be. And then other panels, gravity's really taken more of an effect. And it's just it's so inconsistent. And Helena, on that next-to-last page, I mean, as you get further down the page, she gets seems to get younger to a point where, like, that next-to-last panel, she looks like she's, like, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the art is very inconsistent, unfortunately. 
Um, but starting at the beginning here, I love uh, page one. Um, I never realized that Flash and Green Lantern had something going on there, but it sure looks like something <laughs> is going on there. So they were really good friends. I guess they're really good and friends. You uh, and it's just not something you really talk about. So <laughs> I mean, they come from that generation. Doctor Midnight is leaning forward. I imagine he's squinting because he just can't quite see what's going on. That, that just amuses me. I love the, how he's leaning forward. Yeah. Nobody else is, just him. Sandman is just kind of sitting there staring blankly, and then I felt bad about noticing that because I'm like, wait, he just had a stroke. Right. So. Well, the the Wildcat. If you look at Wildcat's eyes, he's almost looking at him like, dude, you asleep? <laughs> Whereas our man just got the got the delirium tremens, uh, Al is feeling up his own arm, and Johnny Thunder just finally realized how much he sucks. <laughs> I will never get tired of making fun of Johnny Thunder. Yeah, you know that third page with Lois Lane. There's something weird going on with her hair right there. She just looks like she's got like a Frankenstein bowl cut or something. Something really freaky is going. On. <laughs> um, I've put on some weight. Shut up. <laughs> you know, now that you say that, that's what it was. It was. She almost looks like she has a maternity outfit on. Yeah, like she's pregnant. Yeah, she really does. It hadn't occurred to me until you said that. But yeah, that's the look I was trying to, I was trying to pin down. You're right, because she's got kind of a, you know, she's got kind of a fatter face, and and just by the look of the clothes and her figure, yeah, she does. She actually looks like she could be pregnant during this. That would have been a hell of a reveal for this period of time, seeing as how what she was ancient. Well, yeah, that's true too. I hadn't thought of that, but. Well, I mean, she's not drawn to look like Aunt May here, yeah. like we would see her later in in crisis-related stuff. But yeah, I, I, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, she's much no, too old to be childbearing. She doesn't look like Aunt May. Aunt May looked like the fucking crypt keeper. Sorry. <laughs> uh, page six. Oh wait, wait, wait! I, I oh. do want to say one more thing uh-huh. before we go. I hate to interrupt. You. No, I go apologize. ahead. But. Inza giving Dr. Fate the high sign? Isn't Inza, like, I'm sorry, like, the most heinous bitch in the universe to her husband? Like, every time he wanted to go out... Right, yeah. Why isn't she crying that they're not in the tower? No, she's winking at him because he's like, finally, gotcha, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) This is Inza's moment to shine, is what I'm saying. That's just a creepy picture. Why is Logan sitting next to her? I don't understand. Because, and he looks like that fat Logan from, what was that story, Earth X? Yeah. <laughs> Over the hill Wolverine. Page, uh, page six. I have no idea what the hell's going on here, but it really looks cool. What, with Dr. Fate? Yeah, he's, like, standing in, like, an onk tunnel or something. What the hell is that all about? It looks cool, though. I'm not complaining. He's coming on to her, is <laughs> he's, what's going on. Yeah, this is, like, Fate's pheromones working on Wonder Woman. Or I don't he's got know. kind of a stare-at-my-crotch position, too. So. He's always showing his junk to everybody that'll look at him. 
I didn't make a note of this, but now that I see it, I can't help but, oh, that's just wrong. The dude in the very next panel has serious craneage problems, man. What is up with that dude? <laughs> he looks like a black telosian. He really does. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's like an African-American Jason. <laughs> oh, yes. No, nothing like a hydrocephalic head to kind of... <laughs> And it took me a while to remember that word, so that's why there was no <laughs> We're kind of losing it. Oh, we are. Dude. We are. I'm sorry. It sounds like we hate uh, this, and I don't. I really don't. No, but it's, it's not. We're just having fun. Folks, oh, the, the art We're is, just, yeah, it's it's just fun. Hey, Some episodes are deep and meaningful uh, commentary. Other episodes are Scott and I just trying to make each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um Page seven, uh, that bottom, I mean, it's only two panels, but that bottom portion there, right underneath Superman, you've got Batman and who dat? Uh, the Adam? With a blue cape? Does Adam have a, yeah, I guess Adam does have a blue cape. But it's it looks at, like he's got a hood on, though. That's kind of Yeah, he, it's like he's got a blue hood, a blue cape, and like... Yeah, I guess it is supposed to be the Adam because he's got that like what are those things wristbands or whatever. Yeah, but it, just, it looks like he has boots. black leggings and red boots, and I'm just looking at him and go, who is? That? <clears throat> yeah, he does have red boots, so yeah, I guess that must be him. He j- it just looked really odd. It, you know what it kind of reminded me of? It was like put a blue cape on the latter costume version of uh, of the Will Payton Starman, and that's what it looked like. Yeah, that looked really cool actually. Ah, uh, moving right along here. I talked about the uh, um, Spectre explanation already. Um, just a very general note, I really liked page 12. I agree with you about page 13 and how Superman looks, but going back one page, I like how everything looks on This is one of the yeah. rare pages in the book where everything worked here. This looks really cool. I love the yeah. page layout with a very Christ-like... Um, Green Lantern in the upper portion, and I like Superman's body language at the bottom, and he's doing that thing that I like, and I think you like this too, where Superman holds his cape. Yes. I really like that. That looks cool. Uh, Again, with page 13, I don't want to belabor a point, but again, how the hell do they know this? I really wish we'd gotten an explanation for that. Is it just me, or is the entire concept and the entire basis of that time trust caper story just screwy and kind of stupid? Yeah. I mean, I I get that. uh, It's kind of a neat idea that, okay, that that all these scientists are working on time travel, and they're all working on it in different facets in different ways. So you got one guy that's trying to do the DeLorean thing, and you got one guy that's trying to make a time whatever the hell they're doing, but everybody's approaching the same problem in different ways. That's kind of a neat idea. But then it's silliness of, hey, let's go to these guys, and they can send us into the far future where we can get this protective ray shield for the... And I'm like, how the hell do you know that? How do you know that when you get there that the Earth's not, you know, there's no human beings left? You know, we had a nuclear war at some point, or we were taken over by the Martian, by a giant... How the hell do they know that just picking a random friggin' number on the flux capacitor and going to that year means that they're going to find what they're looking for. That was never explained. Now, I realize that that's a, a, a Golden Age story, and that's a trope of Golden Age stories, is that they didn't have to make a hell of a lot of sense. 
But if you're going to be the retro continuity guy and try to make sense out of every silly ass thing that was ever brought to the table in the golden age, then it's kind of your job to explain it then. Right. And make some sense of it. And I'm sorry. At the end of the day, still doesn't make any sense. I want to know how they knew that they were going to find what they were looking for by just picking a random number and going to that year. Cause comics. Yeah. And you know, I, there's part of me that wants to just let it go and be that way, but then there's another half of me that says, no, God damn it. You know, he's making conscious efforts to put everything in a logical progression and make sense of things. So don't half-ass it, you know? If, if you're going to make sense of this that's silly, then make sense of that that's silly, too, and, and, and work it all together. And, and sometimes he's masterful at it, and then other times, I, I agree with you. I think he's kind of using an "eh, it's the comics" you know approach and just kind of sloughing it off, and that gives you a very uneven narrative, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, I want to find some glowing things to say here. So pages twenty and twenty-one. Damn, shining night, man. He looks good on page twenty. I really like that. I, I, I just anytime this guy shows up just makes my day. I don't. I couldn't tell mm-hmm. you why exactly, but I really <clears throat> dig the Shining Knight. Well, he's a mix of superheroes and King Arthur. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of getting a twofer there. So. He's got a great nobility about him. I just, I really like that character a lot. And uh, I'm, I was shocked, Mike, that you didn't comment on the last panel on page 21. That's a great picture of the All-Star Squadron. Yeah, and I, 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 I always like seeing Liberty Bell with her blue mask. I don't know why. I just think it looks good. Mm-hmm. I like that. But you just, you know, you've got the classic lineup here. I really like it. And Plastic Man gets, uh, gets squeezed in as well. I just thought that was really cool. And again, on page 22, uh, a little bit more of um, of Shining Knight. He looks really good. little thing with the uh, seven soldiers. Uh, let's see. I think I only got just a, another note or two. Page 20. So, yes. Yeah, I. you know, the last thing I want to do is set you or I, or most especially our listeners, up for disappointment. But, man, i got to be honest, I'm not looking forward to that, that Shanghai into space storyline. You know, what was weird is I can remember buying those off the stands as that story was coming out. Because by that time, I was fully into All-Star Squadron and, and trying to collect it as it came out. You know, buying it just off the spinner racks. Because... Crisis was out at that time, and I was trying to actively collect the crossovers. And most of the issues of All-Star set in the time of Crisis, most of those issues directly tie into all bannered, and, and just about all of them are, uh, are direct crossovers. But as a kid, I can remember being super frustrated that awesome story going on, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and all the incredible things that are happening in the different worlds, and just everything that Crisis is, yet in the All-Stars, what's going on is hide into space. Yeah. And it reprinted, as I recall anyway, doesn't it reprint heavily a lot of Golden Age stuff in the telling of those stories? Uh, I have not read that in years, so I do not remember. Maybe I've blocked it out. I, I could be remembering it wrong. So, you know, I, I want to give it a fair shake. I mean, we're going to be re- 
we're going to be rereading it and covering it and all. Maybe I'll like it better second time around. But I think one of the, re- the, the two big reasons, as I recall, or actually three big reasons, as I recall, that I didn't like it is, for one, like I said, you got Crisis going on and you're playing over here, which just seemed really stupid to me. Two, as I recall, um, it, it really heavily made use of the original stories and basically just reprinted... Um, because what happens essentially is that the JSAers get split up, put into separate rockets, and each one gets blasted to a different planet in our. And as I recall, as they're telling the story, they would just reprint that particular character's adventure from the Golden Age. I that's what I recall. Yeah, that's how I recall it. Now, again, I could, I could be wrong. I'm not going to skip ahead because I don't want to spoil things, but. Uh, Maybe somebody that remembers it better will write in to confirm or deny. But the other thing, too, was, you know, God love Roy Thomas and his devotion to these characters. I love him for that. I really do. But there are times when I, I wish that he was just able to say, you know, love these guys, love this team, love this history. That story's stupid. And just let it go and skip it. And this was a time that he should have done that because no matter how you slice it, no matter how you try to retcon it, no matter how you try to no-prize it, that story, modern day, and I mean modern day in air quotes because this was 1985 by this point, but that story, modern day, doesn't friggin' work. We know in the more enlightened age of 1985, what lies in wait for on the other planets in a way that apparently they didn't know back in the 1940s. So, you know, the planets that they go to are are supposed to be, you know, like I said, the the planets in our solar system clearly can't be. So I I think, as I recall, it it ended up being retconned that they didn't really go to like Neptune and Uranus and these different planets. They actually went into hyperspace and wound up on other different planets. It's still stupid. I'm sorry. I, you know, thanks for trying, but no. And so I, you know, this is just one instance where I wish that his continuity fevered brain had just kind of let one slide. Cause it's not like I think anybody would have called him on it, you know? I mean, most of us in 1985 didn't have access to this shit in in reprints and collected editions and being able to look it up on the internet and fact-check him on things. You know what I mean? I think we were just kind of along for the ride. And, you know, I was a stupid kid. I'm taking Roy Thomas's word for the way, you know, the way this shit goes down. So if he varied and, and, and deviated, I don't think most of us would have been any the wiser, you know? So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. How, what do you feel about that? <clears throat> I think it's one of those things where it kind of shows the divide of the generation of the, the creators and the readers. Where sometimes I think Roy Thomas, as much as he... I mean, we have waxed his car <laughs> a number of times during the course of this show. Right. So I don't think we can be accused of... bashing him or making fun of him unnecessarily, you know, but at the end of the day, you got to talk about what you don't like, you know, right. It can't all be, Hey, you know, this is uh, you know, this is all sunshine and rainbows. And I think that those chapters that we're going to be covering in particular 
was kind of that moment that I, as a fan, felt the most disconnect from the creator as far as what he wanted to tell and the story I wanted to read. Right. And if I had grown up with those stories and loved them as a kid, it would have been neat to see them redone. Uh, I wasn't. So it's like one of those things where it's... How do I really want to explain this? I've got a, I've got the nugget of a good comparison here. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to be able to... It's basically like trying to get kids of the current generation to like Crisis on Infinite Earths. When everything they know about comic book storytelling is derivative of that, so it doesn't seem as special. Right. Uh, it's a generational thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I am not saying that he shouldn't have told those stories. I'm just saying it's not something I really wanted to read. Right. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I hope and pray that, uh, that I'll be able to see it with different eyes this time and maybe I'll glean something out of it and, and get you know, more of what Roy was going for, but I'm just, you know, going purely off of my, my memories of the way it made me (laughs) not that crazy about that material. But, you know, I, I, the last thing I want to do is, is, is in this on a downer. And I sure, as you said, I I never want to be mistaken being down on uh, Roy Thomas because I'm not, I'm a huge fan. I really am. Um, So, you know, in effort to kind of bring it back around a little bit, I like where this ended out uh, at the end of uh, issue two. I'm very curious for for where the story's going and and what the final resolution is because I honestly cannot remember. So I'm excited now that the players are, are you know the pieces are in a better place on the chessboard, so to speak. So well, I'm curious where it goes from here. All righty. So what do we got next time? Next time we wrap this story up, we've got issues three and four of America versus the Justice Society. That wraps up this mini series. From there, what do we got, Mike? We were we were just talking about this. We got what two episodes? I think two regular episodes with All Star Infinity Incorporated. We're going to see a kind of a new era start. Uh, Infinity Incorporated after a quick flashback issue. Uh, we're going to continue on with the Starman story in All-Star Squadron. And after at the end of both of those episodes, we're going to be doing our some of our last bits of crisis management. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we talk about the monitor appearances. And then, in January 2015, later uh, in the month, Crisis. I am so jazzed. And by the reactions of the listeners, uh, when you posted up images uh, in our Facebook group and such, yeah, I I think it's fair to say that the listeners are pretty damn jazzed about this, too. I think that's awesome. What's going to be weird is, uh, not to cross the streams too much, but... uh... On another show I do, I'll be covering Zero Hour right around the time we're... Uh, yeah, I saw that. Crisis, and that's that's kind of strange. <laughs> that's going to make my head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, I will be done with Zero Hour within five weeks, so... <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you were not actively collecting comics when Crisis came out, right? 
Uh, when you know, I was uh, two years away from collecting when Crisis came out. So I, I like the dynamic. I think that we're going to have for this because it, it's it's almost reminiscent of uh, of early you know the early format for say Back to the Bins, where it was me and someone that you know w- was kind of getting into it and and hadn't you know age in the perspective. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There'll be a little glimmer yeah. of that perspective there, you know, from someone who who lived through it and and has very fond memories and strangely very clear memories of the event, and then someone who came in post, you know. So I'm looking forward to that. I I think in it's going to be the great. Weirdest way possible. Uh, when we get to that first episode, I will tell, I will reveal how I read Crisis, and it was. The, the little preview of that is nowhere near in chronological, like, issue 1 to 12 order, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. It's confusing so, enough if you're coming in without any real knowledge to read it in order. I can't imagine reading it out of order. <laughs> so, we'll get into all of that, but, uh... No, this was a this was this was a fun. It feels weird not to really get into a monitor appearance at the end of the episode. Oh, I know. Yeah, you know, we're not doing uh, elsewhere in the DC multiverse or or monitor or anything. And understand, guys, the reason we're doing that is not time or anything else. Is that you know we've done it. We fits in uh, concurrently with the issues of All Star and Infinity that we're covering right now. So there's literally nothing to cover. It it all fits together. So. Yeah. It's a special yeah. miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> special as in... Never mind, I'm not going to make that I'm going to get offended. <laughs> You've reached the end to another amazing episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. You can find this show as well as an entire slew of other awesome podcasts on a wide variety of geek-related subjects from giant monsters to time lords to movie commentaries to fangirl interests at www.twotruefreaks.com. There you can hear Scott on such shows as Star Wars Monthly Monday, Star Trek Monthly Monday, Comics Monthly Monday, and occasionally Back to the Bins. Mike is on Comics Monthly Monday as well as hosting or co-hosting a few shows himself, like Views from the Long Box, which can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which can be found at www.fortressofbailytooth.com. Scott and Mike have gigantic egos. They love to hear themselves talk. More importantly at least according to their publicist, they want to hear from you. So you can reach the guys by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. Would you like to sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks network shows? Simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com. Click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, You'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. You can also support this show and the Two True Freaks Network as a whole when you shop on Amazon. Again, simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon link. 
There is no additional charge to your purchase, and a portion of that will get kicked to the network. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Thank you for listening, and come back next time for another exciting episode of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. 